How we doing, everybody? I am so glad that you're here at both of our campuses. We are super excited that you've joined us. Uh, I'm not so sure if you're going to think this by the end of the night, but I think that you are here on the perfect night. We'll have to wait to find out how you think about that when we're done, right? Uh, well, this is Memorial Day weekend, and uh, this is when we remember and we celebrate and we thank all of the men and women who have served our nation in the armed services, especially those who have fallen. And so if that is you, if you have served, we are, we are so grateful from the bottom of our hearts. We are grateful for your service to our nation. Amen? Amen. We are in our series called The Comeback Series, and we've been talking about this little secret. It's really not much of a secret, though, right? Because every single one of us, if we were open and honest, we would admit that there are certain areas of our life that we have let, listen to me, slip away. We're not who we want to be. Uh, we're not who we thought we'd become. Uh, you might be rocking it in a whole bunch of areas, but there are some areas that you're just like, whoa, whoa, I'm falling apart here, and you need a comeback. You could, it could be finances, it could be relational, it could be marriage, it could be with your parenthood, but, but there are these areas of life where you would, if you were honest, you would say, I need a comeback. Anybody agree? Come on, anybody? You know what I'm talking about? It, it, it's just true. And so today we're going to be wrapping up this series, and we're going to talk about something today uh, that is very real and very, very personal. And so um, I would love for you, no matter who you are, both of our campuses, and I know this is going to get a little bit weird for some people. We don't mean for it to be weird, uh, not at all, but this might be a little bit strange for you, but I'm going to invite you, young and old together, to do something for me. Would, would you just slip out of your seats and bend your knee before God? Literally, get on your knees before God. Now, we don't do this very often, but every once in a while, if, if you physically can, both campuses... The reason we bend our knee, look at me, friends. The reason we bend our knee before God is to show humility before God. It is to say that, God, you are the creator, and I'm the created. You are the king, and I am your subject. It is to say that, that I cannot manage the affairs of this world. You can. It is to say that, God, I need you, and that's why we bend our knee before God. And friends, uh, today we're going to talk about probably the most intense and most important comeback of them all. We're going to talk about how, about how we need a comeback in our personal relationship with God. We need to come back to God. Jesus said it this way. Look at me, friends. It's so important. Jesus said it this way. He said that wide wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction and many many people find it friends what we want to talk about today is about the narrow gate and the narrow pathway that leads to life you with me so let me pray and let me lead us into this so father in heaven all across this space right now I pray that your spirit would speak into the hearts of men and women. And God, despite who I am, despite me standing up on the stage, I pray, God, that your spirit would speak. I pray that you would change the hearts of men and women. I pray that you would change my heart, that you would grow my soul. God, that, 
that I would take my next steps towards you. Speak, oh God. Say this, speak, oh God, for your child is listening. Amen. Amen? Amen. All right, you guys ready to go? Come on, are you ready to go? I know you got more life than this. Let's go. So here's what we're going to do. I'm going to do something that uh, I should not do. I'm going to tell you my entire game plan for today. Now, if I was a better communicator, I would be able to kind of sneak this up on you, right? But I'm not, and so I'm just going to lay it all out there. Here's what I want to do today. I want to tell you three stories. I want to read to you three stories that, that Jesus told. I'm just going to read those to you. And, and then I'm going to make some comments that kind of flow out of those stories. And then, um, and then I'm going to tell you a very simple, a very short story. I'm just going to tell you a story. And then I'm going to do something that's very risky. Something that I don't know if this is smart or not. And my guess is that maybe some of you will never come back to our church again after this. But I feel that God is calling me. Um, to ask you to repent of your sins and come back to God. To repent, to turn, and literally come back to God. And I know some of you are going, don't, don't you tell me, preacher man, what to do. You're right. I'm not going to tell you anything. I'm going to beg that you do this. I'm going to beg that you consider being right before God, giving him your heart, giving him your soul. So you're okay with this? Okay. Let's begin with this at both of our campuses. Let's begin. Jesus told three stories back to back to back. And they come from the book of Luke, chapter 15. Luke was a doctor. Uh, Luke was a scholar. And he desired to write an account of the life of Jesus, a narrative, so that he could pass it on to subsequent generations. He wanted us to know the teaching of Jesus. And so he was very careful to study his stories and to study his teaching and to write it down so that it would be passed along to us. And what's remarkable about this story, these, these three stories that come out of Luke 15, is that they're three stories with one theme. You're going to see this. There's three stories that drive at the same point, and so they're probably pretty important, right? Right? They're probably pretty important. So if you were to turn in your Bible or if you had a smartphone and you were to find Luke 15, you would see that there is this conversation that begins with, with Jesus and this huge group of people. And these people, um, they came from all kinds of different walks of life, but among them were some of the religious leaders, some of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law. And these people came out to, to confront Jesus, to try to trap him in, in some things. And, and one of the things that they started to say to Jesus was that they, they said that, Jesus, you got a problem. You, you tend to hang out with a bunch of people who aren't so religious. You tend to hang out with people who don't much reflect a relationship with God. And that's a big problem for a religious guy. And this stirred something in Jesus, so much so that he told not just one, not two, but three stories in a row that addressed this exact issue. And, and one of the things that Jesus would do, and, and some of you may know this, is that 
Uh, Jesus wouldn't amp up with a bunch of lecture type of stuff. He, he didn't dump a bunch of book smarts on you. What did Jesus often do when he wanted to make a point? He, he would tell a story. He would tell these stories that would, would paint a picture of, of how life works and, and how God works inside of life. He would paint these stories about who God is and his nature and his character. And uh, we, these were called parables. Anybody remember this? And we've given this kind of definition to the word parable. A parable is what, friends? It's an earthly story with a heavenly meaning. It's an everyday story about life that literally carries the weight of eternity with it. It's designed to move the soul somewhere. And so Jesus unloads, not one, not two, but three parables back to back to back about a very important issue that reflects the heart of God. Here's how he begins. Luke chapter 15, verse three. Follow along. It says this. Then Jesus tells them this parable. Verse four. Suppose one of you has a hundred sheep and loses one of them. Doesn't he leave the 99 in the open country to go after the one lost sheep until he finds it? Now, pause for a second. These guys... These guys were shepherds. This is what they did. That was the most common trade of Jesus' day. They were literally sheep herdsmen. They were shepherds, right? This is what they did. And so when Jesus starts into a story, these guys start to lean in because he's talking about them. He's like, yeah, this is the whole deal. Yeah, that's exactly how we do it. Yeah, when one's lost, that's what we do. That's what we do. We go after that one lost sheep, right? And it says, doesn't doesn't a good shepherd go after the one lost sheep until he finds it, right? And the reason they do that is why, friends? These are generally poor people, and they're just barely making it in life. And so if they lose something of great value to them, it's like losing part of the family income. It's like, it's like losing their livelihood. And so they're like, yeah, we're going to go after it. That's just who we are. That's how we roll, right? And so Jesus says this, and they lean into this story. And then it says this, he says, and when you find it, and when this shepherd finds this lost sheep, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders, and then he what? He goes home, and he, and he celebrates, right? And then he calls all his friends, and like, hey, man, bro, I lost another one today, but woo, I found it, right? It's like bragging rights. I'm good. This is what I do. This is how a shepherd acts, right? And he literally says that you go home and you call all your neighbors and you call all your friends and, and you say, rejoice with me. I have found my lost sheep. And Jesus says this, he, he makes this very everyday story and he brings the weight of eternity on it. This is what he says. He says, but I tell you in the same way, there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who what? Ooh, we hate that word, don't we? It's a terrible word. We don't hardly ever use that word. It's a terrible word. But he says, I can tell you this, that in this place called heaven, in the throne room of God, there will be more rejoicing over one sinner who what? Repents than over the 99 righteous people who do not need to say this again, repent. And, and so this, there's this story that, that in the story, there is something that is lost and someone who, who did the looking and somebody who needed to be different. Listen to me, friends. There's something that is lost, someone who does the looking, and somebody who needs to be different. And then he comes back with a second story, very similar to the first. 
He, he says it like this. He says, or suppose a woman has 10 silver coins and she loses one. Now, a silver coin in this passage is a Roman uh, drachma. Can you say drachma? Drachma. Right? right? A, a Roman drachma is a, basically, it is a equivalent to like a day's wage of a low-income laborer. It's like a day's wage of a low-income laborer. And so imagine being among those people. And he's like, yeah, that's, that's what most of us make. That's who we are. We're just day laborers. This is the common people. And, and he says, could you imagine what would happen if you lost an entire day's wage? Could you imagine if you cashed your check and you put an entire day's wage on the counter and suddenly it came up missing and you lost it? He says, what would you do? And so these people are leaning into this story and they're going, yeah, what did she do? What did she do? And he answers this question for them. And this is what he says. Doesn't she light a lamp, turns the lights on, sweeps the house clean and searches carefully until she what? Finds it. And when she finds it, she calls her friends and neighbors together and she says, rejoice with me for I have found my lost what? My lost coin. And then he takes this everyday story and he brings the weight of eternity on it. And he says in the same way, I want to tell you about what happens in heaven. I want to tell you about what happens with God. And he says it like this, he says, there is rejoicing in the, in the presence of angels of God, of the angels of God over one sinner who, we hate this word again, but say it, who repents. It's a second story, but it carries the same weight as the first, right? This is a story about something that is lost and someone who does the looking and somebody who needs to be different, Right? And then Jesus comes at them, not with just one, not just two, but a third story. But this time, it's a little bit different. He changes it up. He, he actually dials it into a whole different level because it's not a story about an animal. It's not a story about an object. But friends, listen to me. It is a story about us, about people like you and people like me. Have you ever woken up one day and just found yourself a little lost in life? Come on, seriously, Anybody? I mean, you thought you had it going on and you thought you knew what you were doing and where you were going and what you were becoming and all of a sudden, one day you woke up and you weren't who you thought you were gonna be and you weren't where you thought you were going to be. And Jesus drops skin, human skin, into this story. And it just goes up a whole different level and he begins like this, verse 11. Verse 11. There was this man who had how many sons? Two sons. The younger one says to his father one day, Father, give me my share of the estate. And so he divided up his property between the two sons. Verse 13. Not long after that, the younger son got together all that he had, set off for a very distant country, and squandered his wealth in wild living. And we're going to learn a little bit later that, that his wild living had a lot to do with good old-fashioned skirt chasing. And if you don't know what that means, ask somebody who's older. They will tell you, right? He, he was partying in every sense of the word. And, and, and these people were leaning into this story because, because he begins to describe uh, how this whole thing goes down, that this young man had tremendous wealth and, and yet he squandered it. He, he lost it all. And, and the truth is, friends, we all know somebody like this, right? You look at people and you've all seen people, right? You know somebody, maybe this was you, and that, that you had all the potential in the world and these people have all the potential of the world, in the world. 
But because of life choices, because, because of partying a little hard, they don't become all that they're supposed to become, do they? Come on, you've seen people who have ruined their life. And these people were much the same way. They're like, oh yeah, I know some guys who partied a little too much. A little too hard. And they ruined their life over that. Verse 14. After he had spent everything that he had, there was a severe famine in the whole country and he began to be in need. And so he was out of the old man's money and he needed to get a job. And a little side note, this might be a good biblical reference and case for not giving your kids everything that they want. Making them work a little bit. Hmm? Hmm? Just saying, right? Uh, verse 15, listen to this. So here's what this kid does. He goes out and he hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him out into the fields to feed the what? Come on, the pigs. He longed to fill this, his own stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything to eat. And, and when the people heard this, they were like, oh, ho, ho, this guy just hit the bottom. I mean, like the bottom, bottom. They, this literally turns their stomach. This literally makes them sick because if you know anything about uh, traditional Judaism, what do you know about what they eat and what they do not eat? They do not eat bacon. They do not eat ham, right? They, they think it's unclean. They think a pig is unholy. It's unsacred. It's, it's considered unclean among them. And so, and so when this guy hits that, he's like, they're at the bottom. Me? I love bacon. More bacon, the better. Glory to God, right? Glory to God. But for them, they're like, Jesus just took this whole story down into the gutter. You could not get any lower and so they're hanging like on every word of this story and they're like, where's he going with this? How, this is, how is this gonna possibly work out? Because I'm gonna tell you something. To the average Jewish person that's listening to this story, the, the, the average Jewish person's going, this kid's getting what he deserved. The average listener is going, this kid just mocked his father and you don't do that. This kid just destroyed his family and you don't do that. This kid is getting what he deserves. And so verse 17 comes along. It says, when this kid comes to his senses, he says, how meant to, he's talking to himself. He says, how many of my father's hired servants have food to spare? And here I am starving to death. Verse 18, I will set out and I will go back to my father and I will say to my father, father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy even to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. And so he got up and went home to his father. And here's what happens. But while he is still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. And he ran to his son and he threw his arms around him and he kissed him, right? And anybody, can you catch what, what's going on here in this story? There's this implication that this father who is running this big business with servants and with money to divide and all of this stuff, that this father is doing something. It's like he's at the edge of his property and he's looking out and one day he sees this like figure coming across one of the distant fields and he's like, no, it can't be. Oh, no. Oh, maybe. Maybe in, 
And all of a sudden, he goes, maybe that, that's, I think that, that could be my boy. And, and it just, you can see this picture being painted. It says that, what did he do? He goes out. He moves out. He, he stands at the edge of his property, and he kind of goes out further and farther, farther. And then all of a sudden, what does he realize? He realizes that this is his son, and the father goes to the son. The father runs to the son. And he knows everything that this kid's done. He knows he's done everything to embarrass the family. And yet this father moves, and it says what? He grabs his son, and he begins to kiss him, and he's slobbering all over him. And here's what we learn. Here's what we learn. This kid beats the father to the punchline. Here's what happens. Verse 21. The son says to the father, Father, I have sinned against heaven, and I have sinned against you, and I'm not even worthy to be your son. I'm not even worthy to call this my home. But the father says, Boy, you crazy. Of course you're my son. That's just my loose interpretation. <laughs> but he looks at his son with incredible compassion, incredible hopefulness, incredible love. And he says to his servants, he, he's overwhelmed in this moment, right? He, he's overwhelmed. He says, quick, bring one of the best robes and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and now what? Found. And so they begin to celebrate. Verse 25. Meanwhile, the older son was off in the field. And when he came near the house, he heard the music and the dancing. He's like, boom, boom, boom. It's like, what is going on, right? He's like, and so he calls to one of his servants and he asks the servant, what's happening? And the, and the servant says, your brother has come home and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has him back safe and sound. And the older brother becomes angry with this. And he refuses to even go into his father. And so his father does something else. His father, just like the other son who was coming across the field, the father goes out to meet his older son who is now angry. And he pleads with his son. And notice this, friends, listen. Jealousy and envy and brokenness starts setting into the heart of this kid. I want you to remember something, that, that this kid has lived all of his life at home, and he's perfectly fine, he's perfectly content, he's perfectly happy, but, happy, but listen, your happiness and your contentment ends when jealousy begins in your life. When you start looking over somewhere else and you realize that they have something that you long for and that you want it, but God's not giving it to you. And that's exactly what happens with this kid, with this older son. Listen to this. The older brother, he becomes angry, he refuses to go in. The father goes out and pleads with him. But he answered the father. So he's begging his son, come on, son, come on, son, come on, son. Your brother is home. What am I supposed to do? He's my son. He's my boy. But he answers his father. Look, all of these years I have been slaving away for you and never once have I disobeyed your orders. You have never given me uh, even a young goat so that I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours, listen to how he lang the language he used, when this son of yours, it's like not even my brother, right? So when this son of yours who has squandered your property with prostitutes comes home, you kill the fattened uh, calf for him? You, you, you celebrate for him? And then the father says, my son, you're always with me. And everything that I have, it belongs to you. I would have given you a calf. I would have given you a goat. I would have given you anything you asked for. You never asked. I love you. I'll do anything for you. 
And then the father says this, but we had to celebrate. We had to be glad because this brother of yours, see how the father turns it? This brother of yours was dead, but now he's alive again. He was lost, but now he's found. And so this is a story of something that was lost and someone who is looking and somebody who needed to be different. But this story isn't exactly like the two other stories, is it? It has a different ending to it. Jesus doesn't say anything about rejoicing going on in heaven when people repent, and he doesn't have to say it. And you know why he doesn't have to say it? He, it's because he doesn't have to, because he shows it to us. Uh, he, he shows us what repentance looks like. Th- this, is, th- th- uh, this is a story with human skin on it. He, he shows us what it means to, to, to make yourself right with God. And just in case you, you miss it in the story, the, the, the thing that was lost was you. And it was me. It was the two brothers. It was people who get lost. Again, anybody in the room ever wake up lost one day? God is looking for you. He's leaning towards you. And we get lost. And sometimes we get lost because, like the younger son, we get caught up in wild living. We get caught up in things like sexual immorality, and nothing will take you further, faster from the heart of God than sexual immorality, nothing. And we get caught up in greed. We get caught up in materialism. We get caught up in pride. We get caught up in all of these things. Rebellion toward God. Or you could be like the older son, just as rebellious toward God. You see, because the older son thought he was good enough on his own, that he managed his life well, and he didn't really need anything. But you know what that older son was guilty of? It's what so many of us in this room are guilty of. What I'm guilty of. Spiritual pride. Where we say, God, I don't really need you. I'm good enough. I've done it all right. I'm better than the next guy. I'm better than my kid brother. That's for dog sure. We're the lost one in the story. You're in this story one way or another. You're somewhere in between there. You're at one end or the other, or maybe right in the middle. but we're the lost ones. And who's the one who's looking in this story? Come on, who? Who? Come on. God. Our heavenly father's looking. And this is what he does. See, you and me, we think I've done too much. I I can't go back because I'm embarrassed. You don't even have any clue what I did. How could God possibly love me? How could God possibly forgive me? Do you even have any clue what I've done and what I thought and what I've acted on? I've done things I never thought I would do. Yet God, And yet God, he stands at the edge and he's looking for you. And he's hoping that one day you're coming back and as soon as he sees you turn, he comes running to you. He is the father that is looking, right? And you know what's different? He doesn't talk about repentance because he shows us repentance. He shows us about the son who did it right after all that he had done wrong about a son who humbled his heart and turned his heart toward God and says, Father, I don't even deserve your grace. I don't even deserve your, your mercy. I don't, I don't deserve your love, anything from you. Repentance, 
realizing that he could not save himself. He's lost. Friends, this is when you and I are made right before God. Hit us wind. We come to the end of our own efforts and we let the grace and the goodness of God carry us where we cannot go on our own. You know, this story begins to tackle one of the greatest problems in all of the Bible. Seriously, it's one of the greatest problems. I want you to think about this. If God is good, how can he forgive you? How can he forgive me? Because I'm not good. If God is righteous and God is holy and God can't even look at sin, God can't even look at evil, friends, I am full of sin. And I don't know about you, but my guess is you're not far off from me. And the, and the question is, in the great dilemma of Scripture, if God hates sin, and if he hates wrongdoing, how could he possibly forgive us? And you're like, what, Pastor? I don't know. I thought that's just what God did. He, he does. No, no, I want you to think about this. This is a huge problem. And it's all the way through the Bible. You think about what happens with this older son. It kind of illustrates the whole thing. He comes and he goes, how could you, Dad, possibly forgive my kid brother after everything that he has done? Do you realize how low he has sunk? How could you possibly show him mercy and how could you possibly show him grace? He's messed it all up and there's a bunch of us in this room who have messed up a whole bunch and you've wrestled with this a time or two, my guess is, because you look at your own life and you say, how can God possibly forgive us? If God is just, we think, how can he turn his back on sin? How can he cast your, like the Bible says, he casts your sins as far away from you as far as the east is from the west. Literally, the Bible says that God covers up our sin. And we think, how could God do this? Because I want you to think about a judge. Like if a judge sweeps wrongdoing under the rug, and if a judge looks at your, your crime or a criminal and it's, it's proven, and you're, you're just guilty, and a judge winks at you and says, it's no big deal. We're just gonna let you go scot-free. Is that a good judge? No, is that a good judge? No, we would call that a corrupt judge. We would call that a wicked judge because is he upholding justice? No. Is he upholding righteousness? No. We would say just the opposite. Is he upholding the law? No. We would say that he's actually mocking the law. We would say that he's actually mocking all of those who live under the law, who try to obey the law. Am I right? And therein lies the problem, that God is righteous and God is holy, and God is good, and because God is love, and we say God is love, God is love, but because God is love, do you know that God actually hates because God is love? No, oh, Pastor Jay, God is love. Yeah, it says that God is so full of love that he hates what is evil. He hates this thing called sin, that he hates it in your life, and he hates it in my life. He hates this thing called sin. He hates this thing called evil and he just can't turn his back on it. He can't just wink at it and go, I saw what you did. It's cool though, it's cool. He, he can't do that because that would not make him a righteous judge. And if God is a righteous judge, uh, but he won't judge the earth righteously, is he good? Is he a good judge? No, that would make him corrupt. I, I heard some very godly people say to me one time, that if they only had one verse in the entire Bible to hold on to, it would be Romans 3.23. They, they say it's because it holds the whole concept of salvation in one 
very simple verse. And the verse begins like this. It says, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Have you heard that before? Have you heard that? Yeah? So we hear this and we think, yeah, it's true. Yeah, I've messed up a couple times. It's no big deal. I mean, it's no biggie. Friends, when we hear that passage, all have sinned and have fallen short of the glory of God, why don't we tremble? Why, doesn't there, why isn't there a fear that settles in deep inside of us? Uh, we, we don't even realize what our sin has caused. We don't even realize how big our sin is, much like a fish uh, doesn't even realize how wet they are. It's because we're, we're so born in the sin, we're so immersed in the sin, we were conceived in sin. Our very first breath was breathed in a world that had fallen because of this thing called sin. The Bible says this, and you can see it everywhere, friends. You don't have to be a theologian to figure this out. You know it's true. Our society drinks down wrongdoing like, like it's water. We bathe in immorality. And, and yet here's what you need to understand, and here's what I need to understand. That Hitler was not an anomaly to the human story. Hitler was, was, was what every single person in this room has the potential to become. And, and, and friends, listen, you know this. If it wasn't for the grace of God in your life, if, if, if you were in your unconverted state, in your natural state, you would make Hitler look like a choir boy because you are just one decision and I am only one decision away from the very Worst person I know. I have unlimited potential for evil. And so do you. Because I was born into this. And it's wrapped all within me and all around me. What we do not understand is what the scripture teaches clearly about man. And that is this. That mankind, men, women, we are evil by nature. Oh, Pastor Jay. That's so mean. It's not true. I don't believe that. We're good. We're good. We're good. Friends, listen. Humanity without God is depraved. Think about this. You, you see this, right? You, you know this is true. God is holy and God is just and God is love and God is true. God is all those things, but when you look at humanity... Humanity is like on a sinking ship, isn't it? Come on, isn't it? And you look around and you go, how can we do this to one another? Actually, the question is, how can we not do this to one another? Because sin is within me and it's sin is within you. But God is good and God is just and God is loving. But here's what we need to know about the love and the justice of God. Love without truth is not love at all. And justice, not informed by the nature and character of God, is not justice at all. The love of God, a loving God, requires, listen to me, friends, requires God to be a just and righteous God. And we think humanity is basically good? Come on. Come on. Has anybody ever known a baby? Anybody? You ever known a baby? Do you have to teach a baby how to cry? Do you have to teach a baby how to complain? Do you have to teach a child how to lie? Do you, do you have to teach a child how to be self-centered? Do, do you have to teach a child uh, to be brutal to other children? Friends, do you? 
No, they learn it on their own. You set a child free, you let them run their own ways, you don't discipline them for 10 years, and what are you going to produce? I'll tell you what you're going to produce. You are going to produce a monster. You're going to produce a monster. And you know this to be true. Why? Because what the scripture says is true. We are lost without God. We are lost without God. And you can, you can hold your ears and say, I don't want to hear it. I don't want to hear it. I don't want to hear it. You can be just like the person who goes to the doctor and he tells you you have cancer and the doctor looks at you and says, you got to listen to me. And you go, no, no, I don't want to hear it. I don't want to hear it. I don't want to hear it. And you can cup your ears all day long, but if you cup your ears, you will not know the remedy. You will not know the solution. And you can say, no, no, it's not true. But friends, it is true. It is absolutely true. Why don't we tremble, friends? Because we do not know who God is. God is so good. And God is so pure. And God is so glorious. God is so beautiful. God is so holy. He is the creator. He is the maker. He is the sustainer. And I am none of those things. When I look at my life and I think about the goodness of God, and the holiness of God, I realize I am none of those things. Imagine, friends, for, for just a moment, that God stands uh, on the day of, of creation and he tells the planets to put themselves in a certain orbit in space and they all say, amen, and they bow to God and they obey him. He, he tells the stars to find their place in the sky and, and to follow the decrees of his words and, and they bow down and they say, amen. He tells the mountain to rise up and guess what? It rises up and he tells the valley to go low and, and it, guess what? It goes low and, and he tells the, uh, the brave seas, he says, that you can come to this point but you shall go no further and guess what? The, the wild sea obeys him and yet God calls to you, and he says, come, and you say, no, and he says to me, obey me, and I say, you can't make me, and we hold our hand up against God, and we resist God, and we don't turn to God, we don't repent, because we think we know it better than God, you, you see, friends, here's what happens, if you only get a one-sided story of the Bible, you will be deceived about who you are and about who God is. I'm going to talk to you about the love of a father that is amazing in maybe ways that you've never thought about. But unless you understand who God really is and who you really are, you will never appreciate the love of God. You have to understand something, friends. His love, listen to me, God's love is exalted in the same way that the stars are exalted uh, against a pitch black sky. Do you understand what I'm saying? That God's love stands out in stark contrast to who you are and to who I am. Just like a star in the sky only is brilliant when it's up against a black sky, right? Let me ask you something, friends. Where did the stars go today during the day? Did somebody like collect them all up and like hide them in a basket? Why, why could we not look up and see the glory of the stars during the day? Because it was shrouded in light. There was too much good, good, good going on around it. Stars were there. We just could not see it. And when preachers like me stand on stages like this across America and the world, and all we tell you is that God is good and he wants nothing but your best life now, and we tell you over and over that God has got a perfect plan for you and it's all going to be beautiful. It's all going to work out. We know what you did and God knows what you did and it's perfectly fine. Wink, wink. It'll be okay. Enough time will pass and you won't feel guilty anymore. No, friends. 
No. It's not until we realize who we are that we realize just how good God is. The only way to see the love of God and the grace of God is to compare it to the pitch black darkness of our soul. The only way to see the mercy of God over you is to realize how wayward your soul is. The only way to know the forgiveness and the, and the depth of God's love for you is for you to realize just how your heart and your sin and my sin has hurt the heart of the Father. God says, be holy. Therefore, because I am holy. We think, oh, we're just going to go to heaven and it's going to be nice. Listen, you don't want me in heaven if I'm not holy. Listen, you do not want me in heaven the way I am. It'll ruin the heaven for the rest of you good people. Right? One sin. One sin. Separates you from a holy and perfect God. You take your best day, the very best day that you've ever come up with, the very best day, and you put that against God and say, God, this is the best I have to offer. How am I doing? How am I doing? What is a holy and perfect God, the creator of heaven and earth, going to say to you? But God, I came and I preached at that church one time and it was so good and people moved and they, they responded to you. God's going to say, are you kidding me? Are you kidding me? I know what's in the recesses of your soul. Oh, friends. One sin separates you from God. Anybody in the room ever lie before? Anybody ever just lied? Come on. The rest of you are lying. How many, how many lies do you have to tell? How many times do you have to deceive to become a deceitful liar? How many? Come on, how many? Anybody ever stolen something? Anybody ever take something that wasn't rightfully yours? Come on, anybody? Like maybe you stole an answer on a test and you cheated. Or maybe you were at work and you stole some of your employer's time to pursue your own ambitions. You stole something. How many times do you have to steal something before you become a thief? Jesus said one time, he says, uh, if you look at a woman lustfully, you've committed adultery in your heart toward her. You've offended a righteous God. Anybody in the room ever look at a woman or a man lustfully? can't be just me. What does that make you? An adulterer. So we've only been talking about this for about two minutes and already you're a lying, thieving, adulterer. It does not look good for you. It does not look good for me. Friends, the only way to see the glorious grace of God is to see the pitch black darkness of man. Because when you finally see the pitch black darkness of your own heart, you begin to realize that the God of love actually loved you enough to move towards you like that father who's at the edge and he sees you coming, he sees you turn around and he moves towards you. And friends, when you see this father who loves you like crazy move towards you, it will cause you to bend your knee to him. 
and ask for more of him in your life. This idea of repentance, this word repent literally means to change your mind, to change your direction, to change who you are and what you're becoming and what you find satisfaction in. It's a change of soul. It's a repositioning of your heart. Listen, salvation comes when we realize that we can't earn it, when we can't gain it by some goodness that we have inside of us. We don't, we don't gain salvation by, by coming to church or singing some songs or listening to some guy teach. We, we, don't, we don't earn our salvation at all. We, we find salvation when we're like that lost son and we come to the very end of who we are and we realize that there is nothing else that we can do but turn to God where we cry out, we say, God, I, I need you. I need you. So here's the story that I promised you. I said I was going to tell you a little story. It's a very simple story. I, I read a story. It's a true story about a mom uh, who had a daughter and raised her as a single mom. And this daughter was like some of our kids, you know, it just seems like rebellion is set in their heart and they just kind of want to do it their own way, no matter how many times you tell them. And that was sort of the relationship with this girl growing up. And, but this girl gets into her teen years and eventually finds some friends that drag her into the gutter and she discovers the world of drugs. And eventually, true story, she runs away. And uh, she runs into the big city. This is in South America, one of the South American countries actually. And eventually, she not only becomes so broken through the world of drugs, she becomes a prostitute, becomes part of the sex trade. trade. And this is a true story. And her, but her mom never ever gave up, was always looking, always longing for her daughter to come back home. And uh, one day, uh, the mother says that she was literally praying for her daughter and could not find her daughter and did not know what to do. And she says, it was like, I got this idea. I just got this idea. And she says, my daughter, she's thinking to herself, my daughter's probably embarrassed. My daughter's probably lonely. She's probably scared. And she probably really does want to come home. And I just need to let her know that no matter what she's done, she is welcomed home. And so here's what she did. True story. She goes and she finds like a high school picture of her daughter when she was happy and, and smiling and beautiful. And she makes all of these copies, hundreds and hundreds of copies. And she, she takes these copies. And one at a time, she goes to some of the darkest places around her city. And she starts nailing up this picture, this, this picture of her daughter. And on every single picture, she just writes three words, just come home. Just come home. She doesn't write her daughter's name. She doesn't write her name. She doesn't put her phone number on there. She just wrote, just come home. And friends, this is what God says to you. Stop trying to fix it on your own. Stop trying to justify it on your own. He's saying you will never find salvation until you come to him, broken and admitting your need for a savior, admitting that you need to repent and turn to God. God is saying, just come home and confess your sin. And I know that this is a culture that we don't say this anymore. And I know it's risky. But I'm asking you to repent. I'm begging you to repent and to turn toward God, to move toward him. Because on the cross, Jesus did what you could not do for yourself. Do you, do, do you realize, friends, that um, 
He, he, he goes to the cross so that your sin would be paid for in front of a just God, a good God. Because we do not want a judge who turns from our sin and just mocks it and laughs at it. No, 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 no. What we want is a God who demands righteousness from us, right? But we can't be righteous enough. Therefore, be perfect as your Father in heaven is perfect. Does anybody ever do that? Anybody? No, Jesus, he pays the price for our sin. This is the gospel message that you cannot pay for your own sin, that you could never be right before God, no matter how good you are. And I know that some of you are awfully good. But the gospel states that when Jesus hung on a cross, he did for what you what you could not do for yourself. He made you right, the sinless one, the perfect one, the, 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 the one who was the very son of God, that he paid for your sin. The only one who did not deserve to die for sin. You and me, we deserve to die, but he did not. And he chose to pay for your sin and my sin. And he says, just come home. Just come.